This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. With most of the world condemning Russia's assault on Ukraine and isolating it, some fear the creation of a splinternet. But what is a splinternet? I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. Joining me to discuss this concept is CNET cutting edge reporter Stephen Shanklin. Welcome, Stephen. Hello, and thank you. So first off, what is a splinternet? That's a good question. It's kind of a squishy term. It's not, it's not super precise. But basically, today we have a mostly unified internet down at the lower levels, the technology that makes the thing tick, and up at the higher levels, the applications and services that run on it, mostly work across the whole planet. A splinter net is a situation that uh, a lot of people worry about, where you have different rules and different options in different places, different laws perhaps, maybe in just different social protocols, but basically what it means is instead of having a unified internet, you have a bunch of different regional internets that sort of connect and and perhaps don't even connect very well. So basically it's undermining a lot of the unified global world spanning promise of the internet. And I'm curious about that because aren't there kind of already pockets like that that are isolated? You, know, you, you look at China as the prime example where, you know, they've got the great firewall and there, there are just things that are on the internet that folks in China cannot see. So like, How's that different? Yes, there definitely are. Uh, the splinter net, it's kind of a spectrum, right? It's not a situation where it's 100% open or 100% splintered. It's somewhere in between. And the amount of splintering varies from place to place. So, for example, in China, yes, that's probably the best example of a splintered splinter net. But even in China, you know, I can go to China newspapers, I can go to all kinds of Chinese websites automatically translated in my browser. So that barrier is there, but still the fundamental plumbing works down at the low level. And, uh, and a lot of, you know, information that I might publish at CNET or something like that, people in China can read just fine. So it's not 100% locked down. But yes, China is probably the best example right now of what people worry about in terms of the splinter net, about having government filters, government controls. None of the United States social media companies like Facebook or Twitter work in China. Google doesn't exist in China. And a lot of that is because of you know regional regulation and issues like censorship. So that is a good case of what can go wrong in terms of a unified internet. Right. And, you know, you make the point in your story that there are, it's not like even in the U.S., there, there haven't been regulations that affect how the internet works. Talk a little bit about some of the examples there of some of the, the different rules around the, around the world that sort of affect your internet experience. Yeah. So there are lots of rules. There are, you know, ancient laws, things like libel. You know, you can't libel people on the internet just like you're not allowed to libel people in a newspaper 25 years ago. So, you know, some things like that carry over and, you know, impose some restrictions that vary from one country to another. There have been newer things, you know, a couple years ago, President Donald Trump tried to cut off TikTok and WeChat, two apps from China. 
Uh, WeChat's not a big deal in the U.S., but TikTok sure is. And, uh, you know, that's an example of some, you know, arguably the most laissez-faire rules about the Internet are here in the United States. And even here we see that kind of thing. There also are rules like the GDPR, the privacy regulation in Europe, that impose a lot of constraints and make companies have to operate in a different way in a, in a different region. And then when we saw uh, you know, a dispute between China and India, we saw India ban a lot of Chinese apps, including TikTok and WeChat and Weibo, which is very much like a Chinese Twitter. So there are a lot of situations where uh, you know, we've had actions that impose some restrictions. This is not completely shutting out uh, information from overseas or a different country across the border, but it is definitely a step in that direction. Okay, well, uh, that that sort of brings us back to Russia, right? With with these tech companies that have taken really sort of unprecedented action against Russia. I'm curious um, if you can talk a little bit about how these tech companies have worked to essentially isolate Russia in some ways. Yeah, the biggest actions by far have been to try to cut off the Russian propaganda machine, specifically the RT and Sputnik uh, media news channels. And so in the uh, United States, you can still get them, but in the European Union, Twitter and Google, uh, YouTube and Facebook and some other sites have shut off access to those channels. And that is, uh, you know, a, a, a very far cry from completely shutting off Russia or, you know, stopping information transfer entirely over the border. But it's definitely an, an effort to squelch the, the official Russian government voice. I mean, you can still hear ministers quoted in the press and things like that, but the standard propaganda channels are definitely being shut down. So that's the, the biggest action. We've also seen, you know, more um, sort of economic actions. For example, Apple uh, shutting off sales of its products in Russia. That's not anything to do with the splinter net as such, but it's definitely a remarkable action in terms of um, setting a moral tone, taking a principled stand at the expense of its own business. Right. And and. You know, speaking of Apple, Ukraine's digital minister had asked Apple CEO Tim Cook to shut the App Store down. I'm curious whether that's even a practical solution or something that could actually happen. Shutting down the App Store would, I'm not sure how much that would accomplish. So Apple has taken off the RT and Sputnik apps from its App Store. So that's that's a step, a similar step to, you know, making it harder for the propaganda machine to function, the Russian propaganda machine. But shutting off the App Store, it would, it's, what you have to figure out is how far on the spectrum of punishment and uh, consequence you, you want to go. So shutting off the App Store would certainly inconvenience uh, and cause a great deal of trouble for a lot of people and a lot of businesses. But who would it hurt the most? At a certain point, if you're hurting the Russian populace more than you're hurting the Russian government, then maybe you don't want to do that. Now, obviously, a lot of the economic sanctions are very much hurting the Russian populace and are intended to cause a lot of economic pain. So, you know, in some situations, governments deem that worthwhile. But it's, it's, a, it's a judgment call. And I suspect Apple went through their calculus and decided it didn't want to go all the way that far.
Right. And, and there's some, uh, especially the, those in Ukraine, are asking that, you know, the world essentially cut off Russia from the Internet. What about that scenario? Well, a couple thoughts. First of all, as a practical matter, that's very difficult because of the way the Internet is set up. It's set up with a lot of redundant network routes all over the place, different network equipment, different fiber optic cables, different radio wireless links. It's not a simple matter of going to some junction box somewhere and flipping a switch and boom, Russia is no longer connected to the Internet. The Internet is explicitly designed to be really... Uh, uh, reliable, robust, tolerant of a lot of outages. Uh, and so that actually, as a practical matter, is very difficult, in particular because China doesn't appear likely to cut off anything in Russia. So, And the way the internet works is, well, if there's some official conduit between, say, I don't know, Germany and Russia that gets shut down, then the way the internet works, your data packets will could flow right through Beijing and then going through the back door, so to speak. So it's it's a practical matter. It's very difficult to shut down uh, in, uh, Russia from the internet. But I think as a moral matter, most people that I spoke to for this story are not interested in completely cutting off Russia. It would be an extreme form of punishment. Uh, it would certainly cause a lot of harm, but the result would be that a lot of ordinary people in Russia no longer can get any information at all, except probably from official state news channels. And I think probably a lot of people outside Russia are doing it, uh, performing a calculus where they think it's better to have uh, the Russian population modestly well-informed through whatever information leaks through the censorship screens than to have them completely uninformed. So I, I and, and just sort of from a humanitarian aspect, I think you can also make the case that cutting off telecommunications completely is going too far. That is uh, potentially quite crippling for people. So I, I don't think people are willing to go that far, even though um, you know some, some folks in Ukraine and elsewhere would like to see that happen, I think. I, so here's an example. So I'm a child of the, the Cold War. I visited Russia in 1995. I talked to people who tried to communicate around Soviet censorship. And they used a technique called Samizdat, which was basically unofficial uh, news distribution, you put stuff on a piece of paper and hand it around. It's very difficult. It's kind of the equivalent of North Korean people smuggling thumb drives into North Korea. Right. Uh, that's, you know, there are a lot, there's a lot of censorship in, in Russia, but it's nothing like it was back in the really bad old days. And I don't think people want to return to that. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and bringing it back to this idea of the specter of a splinter net, I mean, Realistically, like what what is the the risk or the threat that the splinternet can actually like a true splinternet on the sort of extreme side of that spectrum actually emerges? Yeah, the extreme side would be there's a United States internet and there's a Russian internet and there's a Chinese internet, and if that happens, you know, obviously it's it's potentially pretty crippling. You could still have gateways in between that let some information through, but it would be uh, it would be you know, very crippling compared to today's much more useful and open internet. And, you know, you'd have to make sure everything was set up right. So I think personally, it's pretty unlikely. But what you have to ask yourself is uh, how, what steps would it take to get there? And I do think that, it, you know, if you have enough incremental um, barriers and obstacles and regulatory differences, uh, requirements from different countries to do things in 
different ways, potentially profoundly different ways that China has a lot of uh, different ways it would like the internet to run that really uh, work closer to its you know, centralized authoritarian rules as opposed to the US laissez-faire thing. So if you actually have some fundamentally deep technological uh, breakage from one area to another, you could actually, it, it could actually happen. It, the, 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 the problem is that it could happen very gradually. So a lot of in small incremental steps would be enough. At a certain point, people wouldn't be able to count on the quote real internet enough. They'd have to make up backup plans. They'd have to open up, you know, other communication conduits. And if the utility of the proper internet is degraded enough, then a splinternet would just coalesce, just because the proper internet wouldn't be cost effective or reliable enough. So that's the risk: is that it's sort of a, a slow incremental trip in that direction. Not that there's one single move that that dramatically changes how the internet works got it well scary prospect Stephen. thank you for talking to us about this uh, interesting concept you can check out his story on cnet.com if you have any questions sign up for direct text messages from me by heading to cnet.co slash daily charge and if you liked what you heard please rate and subscribe to the podcast it really helps us out for the daily charge i'm roger chang thanks for listening